Blue Wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Clip and Roll. I'm your host, Justin Russo. I'm once again joined by Shane Young of Forbes Sports. Shane, we're pulling long nights, long days, no sleep. We're grinding. How's it going, buddy? I'm surviving, man. I'm, I I kind of looked at the calendar earlier and saw that it was going to be June 30th, and I said, how? Why? I mean, why is it almost like full-blown summer? Uh, yeah, well, it's almost July, so that's <laughs> cool, I guess. Like, July is here, and I should be thrilled about that, and the season's still happening, so I have no time to be excited. It's great. It's great stuff. Clippers are, Clippers are playing, or will be possibly playing July games that are not summer league games, so that's kind of crazy. That actually is wild. This will be the first ever, like, whether or not the Clippers are in it, there will be July basketball games, like competitive, meaningful July NBA basketball games that aren't summer league for the first time ever. Yeah. And and also, I love how we spend two minutes doing this stuff. But but also, uh, I was actually thinking about this earlier as well. This week right here that we are currently in marks one year since the players arrived at the bubble. They arrived at the bubble and like two days last year. That's crazy. That is that is wild that it's been a year already. That is holy crap. That's actually that is that is pretty insane, actually, now that you mentioned it. Oh I remember God. the Clippers posting their like, you know, their their player pictures of everyone going oh, to yeah, the bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Reggie had on his hat that you you commented on at the time. I forgot what it was, but uh uh, PG look was looking stylish getting on the plane ready to go to the bubble and uh, that was like July 2nd or July 3rd if only we knew how much would have changed for the history of the Los Angeles Clippers <laughs> between then and now yeah, if only well, we had known th- think about that it's been a year just like 12 months and I would say putting it mildly I would say 10 or 12 like major concepts have changed within the Clippers in one year including players that are stepping up like Reggie Jackson that we've already touched on being a prominent figure on the team. Now, one of their best players and Ty Lue changing the entire culture dynamic. Like everything has changed in the matter of 12 months. Love it. Love this sport. However weird it is. Um, anyways, we're here to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers winning game five of the Western conference finals. Somehow, some way by hook by crook, they did it. They absolutely did it. Backs against the wall, down 3-1. Los Angeles Clippers went into Phoenix, the Valley of the Sun, in front of a raucous crowd looking for their first NBA Finals appearance in like 25 years or almost 30 years, whatever the hell it is now. I think it was, what, since 1993? Is that right? Yeah. Charles Barkley. Yeah, and he's been on TNT for like 30 years, so that should tell you how long that's been. Anyways, Clippers are there. They have to go on the road and win. Uh, And they do it. 116-102. Los Angeles Clippers win game five. They prolong the series at least one more game. Game six will be on Wednesday evening at Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. Be there or be square, as the old people like myself will say. The game on Monday, game five, 
was their 14th game in 26 days from June 2nd to June 28th. It was their 14th game in 26 days. Um, They have not had two consecutive days off at all in this entire month of June. Um, It's, it's been a grind. It has been ups and downs, ups of winning four in a row against Utah downs of losing Kawhi Leonard in that stretch. And, you know, Serge Ibaka's back surgery. And then, Shane, as we find out moments before game five, Noah Vitsa Zubats due to a sprained right knee, uh, right MCL to be uh, completely specific about the entire nature of the thing. Zubats got hurt in game four. Um, It happened in front of me, which, I mean, Kawhi Leonard's injury against Utah happened in front of me in game four as well. What the hell is it about game fours for the Clippers at home on players getting hurt in front of me? Like literally wow. right in front, like literally like 30 feet in front of me. Am I the wow. bad guy? Am I, the, I might be the, the bad, the bad luck guy in this one. You but, must um, be the bad luck guy. And you know, I, I don't know about the Kawhi thing. A lot of people, I don't think that was like a dirty thing. People are saying that Joe Ingles, you know, kind of, kind of caused that one. But yeah, I, I think the bad luck has struck on that side of the court in front of you. Yeah, so I guess it's my doing. If you want to blame someone, blame me. Uh, Zubats falls after a foul. He gets up. He starts flexing his knee. I remember who I was sitting next to because we were talking at the time. Hey, Zoo's flexing his knee. We both watched Zoo look over to Ty Lu. Ty Lu visibly asks him, are you okay? Zoo head nods to him like two times, like, yes, I'm okay, and stays in the game. Similar situation as Kawhi Leonard in game four against Utah. He plays a little bit more, and he comes out. It's later learned that he has a pretty bad sprain and he ends up having to miss game five. Uh, We'll get into availability for game six a little bit down the line in this podcast. But no Avisa Zubats for game five. No Kawhi Leonard for game five. No Serge Ibaka for game five. Marcus Morris Sr. is basically on one leg. Nick Batum and Terrence Mann are the walking, banged up, wounded, basically, uh, in, in this series. And you know what they did, Shane? They won by 14 points because the Phoenix Suns can't put them out of the out of their misery whatsoever. And one of the most staggering things we've ever seen in the history of basketball, Western Conference Finals, you're playing a team, you are a top two seed, and you're playing a team missing their best player, missing their starting center, missing their other impact big men, have other starters that are hurt, and you can't even beat them. Not only can you not beat them, you had the lead for 20 seconds in this game total. That's that's a little bit disgraceful at home on your home floor chance to go to the NBA finals for the first time in nearly 30 years. And this is the performance you put up. There's no reason the Clippers should have won this game the way that they did. And the Clippers absolutely hammered them for a large portion of this contest. I was largely disappointed by Phoenix's defense to just to open the gate. Like, you know, right out of the gate, they they kind of just let the Clippers walk into some some really good looks things that you would like uh, the Clippers to run offensively. They were getting downhill. It was, you know, I don't think they started hot from three, um, unless I'm wrong on that. I'm not sure what they shot in the first quarter, but it just seemed like they were really getting anything they want in the interior. And you kind of touched on that when we were talking earlier. It's like, you know, playing small, you can space out the Suns, which they did obviously have to go small with Marcus at, at center and uh, Terrence Mann obviously filling in for Kawhi per usual. But it's like, Man, you you spread the Suns out, kind of force them to pick their poison. Uh, you know, either you're going to give up 
good looks from three, or you're going to have Aiton trying to be stretched too thin and, and giving up some uh, lane penetration, which I thought they did. I thought PG was really good um, in terms of attacking the rim. And, you know, you know, I, I really do believe that this Clippers team is better whenever they're undermanned because they, they just kind of realize like, Hey, we have no margin for error. If we hypothetically get down by, you know, 10 or so in the first quarter or second quarter, it could be it, especially without Kawhi Leonard. So you have to come out and score 36 points in the opening frame. You have to set the tone like that. And uh, I, I thought the first quarter kind of told the story of, of what we're, we're going to see moving forward. So if you look at the game by game, like half court offensive rating in this series, um, two things have really stood out to me as far as like those factors are concerned. Number one, the only game in which the Clippers have had a half court offensive rating under 100 was game four when both teams were just absolutely abysmal. The Clippers were at 74.7 points per hundred half court uh, plays in game four. Uh, game one, 108. Game two, 105.6. Game three, 102.5. Game four, 74.7. But game five, 110.3. Um, and then you look at Phoenix. Game one, 120, which is an unbelievable mark. Yeah. Game two, 109.1, another great mark. Anytime you're, even if you're over 100, it's an amazing mark. Game three. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say the Nets, the Nets led the NBA with like 104.8 for perspective. So, yeah, like anytime you're at 100 or above, you're you're doing some amazing stuff. Uh, so game one, 120 for the for the Suns. Game two, 109.1. Game three, 77.6. Game four, 69.3. Game five, 92.1. They're absolutely just in quicksand in the half court. I don't know if it's completely because Chris Paul came back for game three and he's just pounding the ball into the, into the uh, court. almost said the turf. I don't know why I almost said turf, but he's just (laughs) pounding the ball into the court and they're slower. They're getting up the floor, not as quick as they were in games one and two with campaign. So like, here's the thing. And I expressed this on Twitter on Tuesday uh, sometime during the daytime. If you're Phoenix, you're 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 you've already screwed over every ounce of goodwill you had in the series, like 100 percent, because not only did you not finish them off in game five, you're kind of getting worse as the series goes along, like no. with your half court offense. Um, on top of that, you're playing a team that, as we've mentioned, they're missing several key guys, including a top five player in the league, and you're not pushing the pace against a team that hasn't had two days off in the span of a month. Why are you not just running up and down the floor trying to tire this team out? It has absolutely like befuddled me every time I've watched it. And I remember this, and I remember this explicitly, Shane. The first quarter of game four in Staples Center, the first like four minutes of that game, the Suns are getting easy baskets in transition because they're pushing the tempo after things. And then they just completely stopped. And yeah. it really killed them. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, it kind of does because I think, I think if you have a habit of playing a certain way, then it's hard to kind of change your identity. And we know this, like we know Phoenix has been one of the slowest teams all year. That is like the Chris Paul MO. Like, it's just like, even like when he's on the floor, 
I don't care if he's been in, instructed by Monty to like push the tempo or if, or if Chris himself says like we want to play faster. That's just not how it works for him. Like it's not how it works for him or Devin Booker. They love their slow half court type style. I mean, it's just not it's just not something that they typically do. In the regular season, we saw moments of it where Devin Booker would either corral an off or a defensive rebound or get the ball sh- straight from Aiden and on the outlet, and then Bridges, Mikael Bridges, normally would be leaking out because you know he's so freaking long and, and athletic that uh, he could get up and down the floor in a hurry. And Booker would hit him with the go-ahead pass, and that would be that. That's how they would get their transition buckets. Cam Johnson as well, you know, kind of sprinting to the corners and spotting up, but. I think you have to credit the Clippers for kind of stopping that, even though even though they're exhausted, like they're doing a good job of picking up uh, Chris Paul campaign, Devin Booker, like from 94 feet and kind of like forcing them into pressure right away. I mean, yeah, it's it's really been incredible to see the way that the Clippers have adjusted defensively throughout the series while missing guys. And I understand I'm going to keep saying they're missing guys because that is a theme of this series. You cannot talk about the series in good faith without talking about the guys that the Clippers are missing. It's not like they're missing into the bench or into the rotation guys. They're missing pretty big pieces and other dudes are hurt and they've won two games against the number two seed in the West and not even just the number two seed in the West, the team with the second best record in the NBA and this stuff matters. The Clippers get out to their best start in the postseason. In game four, in game five, they had the best start to a game that they've had. They race out to a seven nothing lead. At one point, it's twenty to five. Phoenix does fight back, but Shane, that start is what they needed because of what Ty Lue talked about the day before the game, where he mentioned, you know, you can't look at this as three games. You have to look at it as you got to take it game by game, but you have to take it quarter by quarter, and you need a good start. Well, they got that good start. Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of crazy to see because, uh, you know, Reggie comes out and he starts doing his thing early on. I mean, it's uh, it, the Suns did not look like they were the home team. And you could kind of hear the crowd uh, getting a little testy, too, because, you know, they were like, man, what the hell? Like, this is a closeout game in our building. And and we come out looking like this. And uh, Monty kind of let the guys play through it. I mean, I think he called time when it was. 10 to 2 I can't remember what it was but it might have been he might have actually waited a little bit longer after that but he kind of let him play through it and I I, you know I I do have to say Justin like the Suns did like answer that initial run so even though like you're you're right like Ty Ty was awesome when he was talking about how like you know you have to go quarter by quarter and kind of piecemeal it together because you can't think of it as like the long-term approach of we have to win this game or we have to win three straight games to win the series you have to go slowly and uh but the Phoenix come back and you know cut it to one or, or eventually you know like they were they were right there after that initial spurt by the Clippers yeah so Monty's first time out in the game comes when it's 18 to 5. 18 to five. I, I was, th- I don't know why I was thinking he called it earlier, but yeah, I knew he kind of let them play through it a little bit. I couldn't believe he let them play through it that long. Like, like, um, PG gets the and one to make it uh 13 to three. And then he makes the free throw for 14 to three. I thought that's when he would have taken the timeout. I even thought he was going to take the timeout when Reggie had the dunk to make it 11 to three because it came after a turnover. And then Reggie gets the, so turnover by Chris Paul, Reggie gets the dunk 11 to three turnover by Mikel Bridges, Paul George and one. Now it's 14 to three. He still doesn't take a timeout. He waits for the Clippers to make three more shots. He waits for Marcus take- Morris to turn into the MVP of the NBA. 
I mean, yeah, Marcus, Marcus's <laughs> first quarter, he drops 13 points. He drops 20 in the first half, finishes with 22 for the game. Um, you're right, though. Phoenix does claw back at one point in the second quarter. They even get it back within two points after a Cam Johnson three. Clippers call timeout. Paul George makes a layup. Paul George makes another two-pointer. Uh, Chris makes a jumper, and then Marcus makes another jumper, and all of a sudden they're going back and forth a little bit. And then a pivotal part of this game happens at the end of the uh, second quarter, so end of the first half. After Aiden makes a little shot, a little jumper, to make it 52-49 Clippers, so the Clippers are up three, the Clippers close strong. Uh, Paul George makes a shot at the rim. Marcus makes a three off of a Reggie assist. Marcus gets fouled and makes two free throws. All of a sudden, Clippers are up 10. Now, they do give up a Devin George. Uh, almost a Devin George. Oh, my <laughs> God. That is like a massive callback. Oh, How old Lord. are you, bro? I know, right? Uh, Devin Booker, excuse me. The Clippers get burned on a hook and ladder play. I never, I don't understand how you get burned on that in the NBA, but it happened. They got burned on a hook and ladder play. And what ended up transpiring is the Clippers go into halftime leading by seven. Now, they don't come out of halftime well. Phoenix hits them with, you know, a couple quick buckets. And now you're up by three again. And at one point in the third quarter, Chris Paul makes a jumper. And all of a sudden, Phoenix is up one. And then what happens, Shane? Paul George and one. Yeah. They're back up I mean, by two. Go ahead. Now, PG, his, like when he drives the basket with that ferocity, it's – it's something to behold because it's something that everyone has been clamoring for all year. And, you know, I, I did think for, you know, a good part of game four, the entire team was settling um, in that fourth quarter, kind of like just tired legs, not wanting to push all the way to the rim. But, you know, that three point play that you just mentioned, like he had a, he had a couple of them, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it was like, man, like you, you could tell that he, he sensed the moment. He sensed that, you know, Phoenix is not going to try to take this. Like, I will. You know, sign me up. I'll do it. <laughs> right. Um, third quarter was his. Uh, it was absolutely the Paul George show. Um, he makes that and one. Reggie makes a free throw. PG makes a jumper. Pat Bev has a nice layup. I really like how Pat Bev's driving the ball to the rim in the series. I think that's been good. Um, it's actually caught Phoenix by surprise several times. Uh, PG gets to the line again. There's the flagrant foul on Patrick Beverly against Chris Paul. People are going to complain about it. The, the funniest part about that entire sequence, by the way, was Steve Javi in the replay booth that they <laughs> when they talked to. And even Steve Javi was like, I don't think that's a flagrant foul. Because the reason that's funny is Steve Javi like never goes against the officials. So to hear yeah. him actually go against the officials was wild. And the reason that play matters, Clippers are up nine, 71-62 when that flagrant foul happens. So Chris Paul gets three shots because he was shooting a three, and if you get fouled shooting a three and it's a flagrant foul, you still get the three shots and you get the ball. He makes all three free throws. DeAndre Aiden makes a shot at the rim. All of a sudden, it's a five-point or a four-point game. You literally lost five points off your lead in about 10 seconds just because of that alone. Clippers don't fold. Marcus jumper, PG3, PG3, Clippers up 12. And in that time, uh-huh. Devin Booker missed two free throws. So... Yeah, Cam Johnson makes a three. Patrick Beverly answers back. But Phoenix has another haymaker. They get it back to six. And then a Paul George jumper. Nick Batum dunk off of a very nice DeMarcus Cousins pass. PG3. Shout out out Nick Batum baseline cuts. He's done it like 35 times, 40 times this entire playoffs. That's just a rough estimate. But it, it, it gets the defense fold every time. 
Nick uh, death taxes, Nick Batum baseline cuts. Yeah. Uh, DeMarcus finishes with a layup at the, or, or a tip in at the rim. And the Clippers are up 13 going to the fourth. PG drops 20 points in the third quarter, folks. It, it, it was unreal. He then drops another 10 in the fourth. Uh, at one point in the fourth, the game got within four. And then who showed up, Shane? Big Gubby. Big Gubby <laughs> brought it home. Reggie Jackson hits a three. Paul George makes a layup. Reggie Jackson hits a three. Reggie Jackson dunks. Clippers up 12. Paul George gets poked in the eye by Jay Crowder, makes two flagrant foul free throws, hits a jumper. Clippers up 16 with four minutes to go. Game's done and dusted. Clippers are going back home to Los Angeles, still alive in a series that they absolutely should already be dead in. And honestly, I know I've said it before. It's 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 honestly pretty shameful of Phoenix that they've let this team hang around, especially when Phoenix, and I understand they're not completely healthy, but they're a miles better, miles healthier than the Clippers, I should say, in this series. There's no reason this Clippers team should be going to six games against that Suns team when the Clippers lost the first two games to Phoenix without Chris Paul. Yeah, and after the game, uh, you know, someone on Suns on the Suns calls asked Monty, like, you know, how – you know, you're up three one at that. You know, before the game five, and you kind of get punched in the mouth. You know, how do you kind of regain the focus and not let the momentum swing? He said, "You know, getting our butts kicked, <laughs> getting our butts kicked like we did tonight. That that should do it. That should ignite the fire in, in the sun. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if they if they actually respond. But you know as well as I do, when it's a three one series and the leading team loses game five, it can spiral downward from there." The reason this is why 3 1 series are always very interesting, even if the comeback is never completed, because the actual psychological effect of a 3 1 lead, especially in this era of basketball, is, is really, really interesting because everything is so flimsy now. With the with yeah. the with the prevalence of the three point uh, with the with almost at the three point shot like I'm eighty years old with the prevalence of three pointers and with the way that guys are now the pure shot making now series aren't over at three one anymore you know you have like here's why game five is really important to a team like Phoenix okay because if you're Phoenix mentally in game five you're home that team that you're playing that's depleted and tired and worn down and just lost game four at home after not making a basket for like six minutes, Mm -hmm. they're down on themselves. We should hammer them at game five. So put them out of their misery. First five minutes of the game, run, 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 put them out of their misery. Game's done and dusted. They'll quit because, you know, you're giving them a reason to just, just absolutely quit on the season and be done. When you don't do that now, the team that was down 3-1, just one game five, and especially one game five on the road in your house, mentally now thinks, hey, we only have to do this one more time. If we win game six, all the pressure's on them. In fact, all the pressure's on Phoenix now for game six because there's no way in hell, no way in hell, anybody expects Phoenix to lose this series. And if Phoenix loses game six... They might actually be screwed mentally because how do you turn around after losing game five at home in the way that they did? And if you do lose game six, how do you turn around and even think you're the better team going into a game seven, even at home against a team that is as hurt and you know fatigued as the Clippers? Number two, this is why 3-1 series are always fascinating as well. 
when you lose game five, the margin of variabilities. So like, the, like for instance, the variability is a three pointer. I consider three pointers to be variables because yeah. like, these are things that teams we, how, how often do we see a Shane, a team will have a great shooting night. A team will have a bad shooting night. You never know what can happen in the NBA. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks need a plaque like inside their arena that just says like three point variance Kings or something, something bizarre. Like they need the award for that. So does Utah to some degree. Yeah. I thought Dallas was just so much more egregious though. Dallas Dallas was, Dallas was honestly (laughs) offensive at some point with what was going on. Um, But as far as the series goes, here's the thing. Phoenix isn't making enough threes to scare the crap out of the Clippers. Phoenix has made 42 threes in five games. They're not making threes at a high level. They're shooting 30.9% on threes. To to be fair, the Clippers aren't shooting amazing on threes either. They're 34.1%. But the Clippers have also taken 40 more threes in five games. So, So the reason I'm saying this is now that the Clippers are going to a game six, there's two potentially two games left. If you're Phoenix, the odds of one of those games now being the variable game where the Clippers are hot from three and you're not has increased because now everything's out the window and you don't know how role players are going to react now. Are the Clippers role guys going to get a boost at home because now they have nothing to lose and you've completely crapped the bet in game five? Are your role players, if you're Phoenix, are your role players going to be scared to take a shot? We've seen Mikhail Bridges kind of apprehensive about letting it fly from three recently. Um, Jay Crowder at times looks like he's hesitant from three. You know, Chris Paul doesn't look like he wants to shoot three some of the time. Same thing with Devin Booker. What's going to happen in game six if it's a close game or if the Clippers now have a – let's say it's the fourth quarter, Shane – and let's say there's six minutes to go. So half the fourth quarter to go and either the score is really neck and neck or the Clippers have a slight lead mentally. If you're Phoenix, what propels you across the finish line that tells you you're better than this team that you keep letting off the hook. It's a mental screw up for them that they lost game five. It's like, I'm not saying Phoenix mm-hmm. is going to lose the series. Please understand what I I'm saying. I think you and I are, are on or in the same boat. Don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think like if we had to choose for our lives, I think we say that Phoenix wins the series. Correct. I think Phoenix personally, I thought game five was going to be a blowout for Phoenix. There was no reason the Clippers should have won that game. Absolutely none. Look at the way they lost game two. Look at the way they lost game four. They're down three one. They just got the injury news that their actual starting center is out. They've been without their other starting center. Their top five player in the league has been out for the entire series and they go on the road and and win by 14, that's a disgrace for the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> yeah. That should not happen. I, I understand. It sounds like I'm crapping on the Phoenix Suns here, and to some degree I am. But you can't let teams off the hook in the NBA. You know who let a team off the hook recently and came back to pay for it? The Utah Jazz. I was going to say the LA Clippers last postseason, but yeah. Yes, that too. If there's one team that understands the laws of variance – in a 3-1 lead, it's the Los Angeles Clippers. Even beyond that Nuggets series, look at the Rockets series years ago when Chris Paul was even on the Clippers. It, uh, about that about that really quick, uh, if you're looking at Phoenix box box score, you see a Jay Smith and it's Jalen Smith, but that gave me like incredible, incredible flashbacks. I don't see a Jay Smith. Brewer. 
Hey, Josh Smith and Corey Brewer might be in the arena tomorrow. So if you see them, let me know. Listen, Josh Smith might show up just to troll Doc Rivers somehow. (laughs) Hey, Ty, Uh, call up your boy. Yeah, no kidding, right? (laughs) I I do want to say, you know, you said that, you know, you kind of mentioned how there might be like a mental mental breakthrough or maybe a stranglehold on Phoenix right now if they, you know, by losing game five when you consider the outlook of the series from, from your perspective, like from their perspective, if you're Monty, if you're, you know, I don't think Chris cares one way or the other, cause he's been through a lot of shit, but it's like, if you're Devin, Jake Crowder, Mikhail Bridges in the back of your mind, like knowing that it's been this tough without Kawhi Leonard on the floor for one second, like, do you think I'm asking you, like, do you think, that weighs on them a little bit. You think they kind of just brush that aside, like you know, you have to play who's in front of you, or do you think there's? It's like, man, man, it's it's taking this much effort without Kawhi. I think it's both. I think at one point it's like, well, we're playing the team in front of us, so who really cares? Like you know, like yeah. no one would, no one would cry a river for, like basically if, from the Suns' point of view, it's like no one would cry a river for us if. Devin Booker was out for the entire mm-hmm. series, and DeAndre Ayton was out. Like no one would cry a river for us. And to a large degree, they're right. I also think it at some point it creeps in. Dude, this team we're playing is missing guys, and their <laughs> other guys are hurt, and we can't even blow them out. Like, not even just blow them out. Like, we can't even win games by even, like, eight points. Mm-hmm. Like, and what's the largest six, margin? Six? Six. Oh. They won game one by six. They won game two by one, and they won game four by four. Gosh. Like this series, you, man. Like, at some point... Now, here's the thing. Maybe all this crap we're talking about, the mental aspect, really doesn't matter. Maybe the Suns come out in Game 6 and absolutely hammer the living shit out of the Clippers, and the fans <laughs> in Staples Center are just going to watch the Clippers limp to the finish line of, of the Western Conference Finals. They'll give the team their standing ovation, and that's it. Okay? That can very well happen in Game 6. The other thing that can happen in game six is Phoenix absolutely shits the bed because they just come out mentally drained and they look like they have no idea what's happening. And the Clippers punch them in the in the mouth first again. And Phoenix wilts from that and then and then goes, well, at least we got game seven at home and just completely goes into that mindset of, well, we got one more left at home. We can always win that game. Well, well, we're in the driver's seat. Yeah. Oh God, that just, re- Oh, you did it. You did it. You I did it. Damn it. I did it. Oh my God. It was me, Austin. It was me all along. Um, that's a, that's a good, that was good. Shane. That was a good reference. I forgot that he said that by the way. Um, anyways, like game six is going to be interesting. Cause win or lose. Here's the thing for the Clippers. They're playing with house money. 100% playing yeah. with house money. To to some degree. I mean, you know, I, I do think that they can view this season. I, I think we said that on the last pod. Like, let's just say they got blown out the other night in game five. Like, this season would still be a, a success because of how far they got and all the narratives they kind of, like, squashed along the way. But to, like, on the other side of things, is it house money if, if there's no guarantee that – next year they are this good again you know i'm not even talking about next year though yeah i'm talking like house money for this series like okay yeah because no one expects them to win this series nor should they yeah and like phoenix is healthier they're the better they were the better team in the regular season all their stuff in the postseason has looked great 
And then here come the Clippers limping across the line to start the series against Phoenix. And, oh, boy, we're without Kawhi and we're without Serge. And, you know, we just played 34 hours ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We played 34, 36 hours ago and Marcus is on one leg. And, oh, man, we almost won game one. And, oh, shit, we almost won game two. Ball, we blew it. (laughs) We're screwed. Oh, wait, we won game three. Oh, man, we had a chance in game four. Oh, and now Zoo's injured. Oh, our season's over. Wait, we just blew the crap out of him in game five on the road with our season on the line? Like, if you're Phoenix, how do you feel good about this? <laughs> you don't. You, you, I like, mean, like, now, here's the thing. Phoenix could very well win the title, and they'll have earned it. Uh, yeah. There's no asterisk, nothing. They will have earned that. Okay? That's a fair title. Anyone who talks about the asterisk, please stop. But if you're Phoenix, there's literally nothing you've seen in this series that should make you feel good about beating the Clippers if the Clippers were anywhere remotely close to full strength. And that should terrify you when you go into a game six, when the team that you're playing has nothing to lose and you are the one that has to actually put them out of their misery finally and haven't been able to do it yet. Yeah. You know what else is terrifying or would be terrifying if you were Phoenix is that you are allowing and like obviously i'm not trying to crap on this guy because he's been a professional his entire clippers tenure since being picked up but you are allowing this version or this version of demarcus cousins to do this against you like against the under Aiden. like that you know it's kind of wild that demarcus cousins in 11 minutes after all of the crap that he's been through in his last three years comes in and puts 15 points on them on 12 shots. Like, you know, he was kind of bullying them. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I guess we have, like, we talked about game five, but then we didn't go into like a lot of nuts and bolts stuff. Number one, uh, I guess we should mention Paul George had 41 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, uh, <laughs> just 15 not even mentioned. <laughs> 20, 50, yeah. 15 of 20 from the field. I, I feel like I did a very poor job of talking about game five, other than just giving you the rundown of the play by play. But, uh, number two, I thought Ty Lue did a very interesting thing. Uh, he mostly played DeMarcus against Dario Saric. And then when Aiton came in, he only let him play against Aiton for a couple of minutes, but you want the funny story from game five, as far as those two are concerned. Yeah. DeMarcus Cousins against DeAndre Ayton, four minutes, Clippers plus 11. God, man. <laughs> How do you lose those minutes by 11, bro? For the series with DeAndre Ayton on the floor, 185 minutes worth of sample, the Suns are minus 42. When Ayton is off the floor, 55 minutes, the Suns are plus 25. So that's a big swing. That's a swing of over 60 points. I mean, you're almost 60 points, I should say. Um, and it's not Aiden's fault. Yeah, it's, it's, he's it's probably Aiden's been fault. the be- probably been the second best player in the series behind PG. Um, and that is wild to say, considering the on-off differential. I mean, yeah, uh, if you're the Clippers, you've basically been beaten by Cam Johnson and Cameron Payne and DeAndre Aiden at times. Yeah, and one like Kobe Bryant-esque game from Devin Booker. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, I mean, but that's just to be expected from Booker. I think the pain and the Johnson and the Aiton, st- well, less Aiton stuff, but pain and Johnson are the two big ones that have like really yeah. like impacted things. Um, game P- six is going to be interesting. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, on, on PG, on the note about PG, 
pro- I mean, it, it definitely was his best playoff game of his career, just considering the moment, considering the point totals, the efficiency. It was 41 points on 82.87.2% true shooting. And uh, it reminded me a lot of, obviously, the, just a few weeks or just a couple weeks ago, game five against Utah, but also a couple of series he had, or a couple of games he's had in the past, you know, 2014, back against the wall, down 3-1. I'm actually writing about this, but it's like, you know, he answered the bell in Indiana and in game five had 39 or 37 points uh, against LeBron's heat. So, I mean, like he has done this stuff before. It's just he hasn't gotten the recognition because, number one, it was Indiana. Number two, it was like he was still young. And I'm not sure why he didn't get the credit then, but it's like it's glad to see him kind of breaking out of that shell and saying like, Hey, I'm going to plant my flag as the best player in the series, you know, without Kawhi Leonard. And I'm just going to lead this team, put him on my back. And I thought DeMarcus cousins, if you, if you kind of want to discuss that for a second, but I thought he, he's been great because of how much he's defended PG in the post games. Like, you know, he, he really capes for PG and uh, he's had enough of the online discourse to say the least. Uh, yeah, the best defender against or the best defender with Paul George on the floor this season has been DeMarcus Cousins in postgame. Yeah. I love it. It's been great. Um, can't say enough good things about Boogie and what he's had to say about PG throughout the season since he's been here. Um, I don't know how game six is going to go. Um, I'm picking the Suns to win game six because that is the logical and easy pick. Um, this Clippers team does not quit. Everything, like literally, they've had. So many goddamn times they could have just quit in the series, in the season, and they just haven't. They just haven't. Um, I've run out of ways to describe them and the job that Ty Lue has done. Like, we get the same coach speak from Ty all the time. Like, yo, next man up mentality, blah, blah, blah. I'm so tired of hearing that. I, 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 I dream about it because I've heard it so many times. Um... But the simple fact is I actually have believed it. Like there's nothing they've done that hasn't made you believe it. And they haven't gone, you know, they haven't gone gentle into that good night. You know, they keep rage. uh, They keep raging against the dying of the light as Dylan Thomas once wrote. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't know how game six is going to go. I expect Phoenix to win. It would not shock me to see the Clippers win. Um, It's potentially the last game at Staples center this season. And if it is, it's been an absolute blast. I'm glad I get one more game to go to potentially one more game to go to. Um, if the Clippers win game six, all bets are off for game seven. Uh, if you yeah. are Phoenix and you let the Los Angeles Clippers get to game seven in the state that they're in, you have majorly, majorly fucked up because there's no <laughs> situation in the world. I want to play this Clippers team in a game seven after blowing a three, one lead with home court. You were potentially opening in the opening the door for Reginald Sean Jackson to have the greatest moment in his entire life in a game seven. And for that, I would be fearful. We might get the ultimate big govy game. If you get to game seven, <laughs> if you get to game seven, I'm sorry. I, I cannot believe the sentence I'm about to say out of my mouth right now. If you get to game seven, I cannot in good faith bet against Reggie Jackson for what he's done this season. Like I literally might actually go wager money on Reggie Jackson. <laughs> they might have to put Chris Paul 
in an insane asylum if Reggie Jackson gets to a finals, or gets to another finals before he does. I'm not a hot take guy. Uh, Shane, you know that. Like you've, yeah, you neither am I. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, you and I text. I'm not a hot take guy. Um, I give observations mostly. What I will say is this. If the Phoenix Suns lose game six, or let me let me put it in better terms. If the Los Angeles Clippers win game six, um, what Ty Lue has done this season is a top five coaching job in the history of the NBA for a single season. I, I firmly believe that. Firmly believe that. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's hard to really disagree with that. I mean, there, there probably have been a lot of moments that have fallen through the cracks. I thought, you know, what Rick Carlisle did in 2011, although fueled by Dirk, like that's definitely up there as well. Um, I mean, like there's a lot of good moments that we've seen, but I mean, there's no reason. There's no reason Ty lose accomplishment. If that happens, if they win the series, um, no team has ever come back down. Oh, two more than once. And he will have done it twice. And, his all-time elimination game record is just stupid. I mean, it's it's Phil Jackson stuff, man. Are you are you talking about if they win the series? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, you just meant if they force Game Seven. Oh yeah, if they force Game Seven, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I thought yeah, they won no, the series. Uh, yeah. No. Um, shit. If they win the series, they've come back from down 0-2 three times and a three-one deficit against. Uh, they would have come back from 2 literally against the top two seeds in yeah. the or the top two records in the NBA. I'll go. I'll go a step. I'll, you know, I don't like hot takes either, but I'll say this: I'm sitting here eating something, but we're good. Yeah, I can hear. Uh, great. <laughs> it's great uh, right into the <laughs> right into the microphone. Right. Uh, I was gonna say if if they win this series and they are just like competitive in the finals or when they win the title, hell, if they win the title, this is definitely the truth. I think I think you have to consider Ty is just the best coach in the NBA. Period. Point. Period. End of sentence. Like I think he, Shane, I if they win the goddamn title from the position that they were in, literally twenty, you know, forty eight hours ago at this time, if the, if they win the title from where they were forty eight hours ago, he's the greatest coach I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I literally, no I, there's no, yeah, no, there's nothing, there's nothing. Greatest coach I've ever seen in my life. If they win the title from where they were 48 hours ago. And here's the thing. I know that's getting ahead of ourselves and obviously game six. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like I still think Phoenix wins game six, but we have to talk about this because it's like the zombie Clippers can never be killed until they're fully put in the, in the ground. And the Clippers had a quote, I believe it was Marcus Morris after game five flat out said they have to beat us. We're not just going to give it to them. <laughs> And I don't know if Phoenix thought the Clippers were just going to walk right into game five in, in the Valley of the Sun, march to center court in front of 16, 17,000 fans and hand them a cake that let them know they were going to the NBA finals. <laughs> like, hey, man, go right ahead. You're good. No, you got to come take it from the Clippers. You got to put them in, in the earth. You got to take them out back like old Yeller and pop a couple ones in their head and make sure they're dead for good because this team ain't giving up. And that's what I love about this Clippers team. They fight. They give you reasons to keep believing even when you think there are none. This is the wildest Clippers team I've ever seen. This is like that 2017-18 Clippers team, the one that didn't even make the playoffs. It's like that team mixed with the one the year after that lost to Golden State merged together and became like Voltron and just completely started doing more apeshit stuff than ever before. It's the only way to describe it. I mean – 
Hell, we're seeing we saw one minute of Jay Scrub the other night. So if if Jay, if Jay Scrub is is making a finals appearance like that, that's that's the best thing ever happened. I mean, at the end of the day, I can make you very happy right now if you really want me to. Go ahead. <clears throat> Jay Scrub hasn't played more conference finals minutes this season oh, God. than Doc Rivers has coached in the last ten. <laughs> Jesus Christ. When was Doc's last conference finals? The 2012? 2012. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I did math wrong. Last nine seasons. Excuse me. (laughs) Listen, if you can go almost a full decade. Jay Scrub was like in fifth grade when this streak started. So, (laughs) you know, whatever. But, and and uh, how and how, how bad? This is way off course, but how bad is is Philly? Just you know, not talking about Doc here, but how how bad is Philly feeling right now? Considering what potentially just happened to Milwaukee, I mean, like the, the and and what happened to Kawhi, you know, like the Sixers missed their damn chance. Yeah, but you know what? Sucks to be them. So Clippers yeah. were still. Pl- I don't mean to sound mean. I just, I mean. <laughs> They got the coach they wanted. They passed up Ty Lue and got the coach they wanted after four days or five days after Brett Brown got fired or whatever it was. So congratulations to them. Oh, it was like five days after Doc Rivers and the Clippers, quote unquote, mutually agreed to part ways. They hired Doc Rivers. They passed over Ty Lue. Wow. Really worked out well for them. Anyways. Shane, you can find, or I don't know why I said Shane. You can find Shane's work at uh, at Young NBA. You can find him on Forbes Sports. Shane, you've been a trooper. You keep coming on and doing this and having me annoy you for like forty-five to fifty minutes every time. Um, game six will be interesting. Uh, it will be. I think Phoenix wins. I'm just saying that. But if the Clippers win, uh. All fucking hell is going to break loose. Yeah. If the Clippers win and there's a Friday game seven, uh, you know, there's going to be, you know, the the Valley will be loud. It will be feisty. It will be rowdy. But there's going to be a lot of nervous energy in that building. It's going to feel like Staples Center for Clippers games in the past. I'm glad I didn't uh, witness that. Oh, when you used to get when you were that when you, when you, when you I can't even talk those games. There was like that nervous energy. I don't really feel that in Clippers games anymore. Like at least not in this postseason. <laughs> I haven't really felt it that much. But buddy, let me tell you, the Clippers win game six. It's going to be a lot of puckering happening in game seven in the Valley <laughs> of the Sun. Because you're going to be wondering for 48 minutes just what can go wrong. So we will see you all later. We'll see you all potentially after game six to record an end of the season podcast. Or to talk about game six going into game seven. Who knows? You never know with this team. It's going to be great. They keep fighting. We love it. I love it. You love it. Everyone stay safe. Be merry. It's not Christmas, but you can always be nice to people on every day of the year. So everyone will talk to you later. Stay safe. Be good. Social distance. Wear your masks. Yada, yada, yada. Game six is upon us. Clippers don't die. They only keep coming at you. We'll see what it's in store. Take it easy, everybody.